time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. What's up, what's up, what's up? How's everybody doing tonight? So good. Somebody say storm the gates. Yes, Lord. To storm this tea. <clears throat> All right, so last week, you guys, how's everybody feeling tonight? Everybody feeling good? Everybody had a good week? Good week at school. Hey, last week, we had amazing Pastor Dan Perkins talking to us a little bit. Wasn't that so good? Just opening up this entire series. And he talked a lot about being on the offensive, that as Christ followers, we are not um, hiding from, we are not running away from the enemy. We're not running away from the world. We are called to be on the offensive. Tonight, I want to take us a little bit deeper into that theme and into that idea. And here's what I need from you tonight, because even as I was working on this and compiling these scriptures today, I just felt, man, such a weight of what the Holy Spirit wants to do tonight through the word of God, through Jesus speaking directly to you, through the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that so many of you are going to leave here changed with a fresh and a new perspective on who God has called you to be and what God has called you to do in your generation. And so tonight, we, look, if you just like, I need you to just dial in. Uh, if you got to just sit on your hands so you're not like distracting the people around you or kind of like slap yourself in the mouth so you don't talk to a bunch of people, don't be like a demonic distraction tonight. Like be, be yeah, I said it. Be, be, be godly and, and just really dial in just for the next 25, 30 minutes or so as we just kind of, as I just kind of unpack these ideas and these themes Anytime the Lord wants to speak to you, the enemy will always send distractions. And they're always cute, aren't they? <laughs> they are. Okay, and so, so just kind of ignore whoever's around you and really lock into what Jesus has to say to you tonight. Okay, dear Simmons, everybody good with that? Yes, sir. All right, thank you very much. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. It will also be on the screens for you. Matthew chapter 16. Starting at verse 18, I want to read to you. <clears throat> Matthew 16, starting at verse 18, it says, and I tell you, this is Jesus talking, that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Everybody say, my church. First thing we've got to understand is that this is Jesus' church. DSM belongs to Jesus. New life belongs to Jesus. If you, are, if you belong to Jesus, then you're part of this thing called the church. Everybody say, my church. So Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades are the gates of hell. Everybody say, gates of hell. Will not overcome it. Verse 19 says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Old Testament now. I want to read one more verse out of the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 16. Isaiah chapter 59, 
verse 16. I'm going to read two different translations so you get an understanding here. Isaiah 59, 16, it says, and he saw, this is God, and he saw that there was no man. Everybody say no man. And also say no woman. Here, it doesn't matter, man or woman, it just says man. So I saw that there was no man or woman and was, look at that next word, just shout it out to me. I was astonished that there was no one to intercede. I want to read another translation of that same verse. The New International Version says this, he, God, saw that there was no one He was appalled. Everybody say appalled. That there was no one to intervene. And in this context, the Lord is talking about judgment and destruction coming to an entire region, an entire nation. As the Lord looked out, it says he looked for someone to intercede, to stand in the gap. Another translation says, and he was (gasps) astonished. God was appalled because no one was there to intervene. I want you to bow your heads tonight. Father, I thank you for the power in your prophetic word tonight. And I pray that as you speak to us, Lord, I pray that your word would go deep into the hearts and lives of these incredible students whom you have called to be a part of DSM. We're just one youth group of many all across the city, all across the nation. But I pray specifically for these who are in this room tonight and those who are listening on the podcast. And I pray that we will forever be changed by the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 If you're taking notes, I want to speak to you tonight in week two of this Storming the Gates series from this message that I've simply entitled Trapped Behind the Gates. Everybody say Trapped Behind the Gates. Trapped Behind the Gates. Now, what if, what if I told you individually, you, not the person on your row, not your section, not us as a group, but specifically you, what if I told you tonight that you, one, have the capacity to change history. Two, you can alter the destiny of countless lives around you. Three, that you play a vital role in what the God of the universe is desiring to do in your generation. What if I told you four, you hold the keys to revival, massive salvation and the greatest move of God in history. What if I told you five, you are potentially a couple prayers away from seeing all of your friends saved, from seeing chains of bondage broken off of your teammates, off of your classmates, off of the friends in your neighborhood. Lies, you may say, fairy tales, myths, excessive exaggerations, nah. See, one conversation 
with Jesus Christ tonight can shift your mindset and bring awareness that you were born for such a time as this. That God made no accidents about whenever you would enter this earth. No accidents in the exact moment in time whenever you were knit together in your mother's womb and that you would be 13 this year or 17 this year or 15. You would live here in Colorado Springs and go to whatever school or be a part of whatever academic program that you are a part of. Walter Wink, an incredible man of God, says this, history belongs to the intercessor. History belongs to the intercessor. Charles Spurgeon says this, prayer moves the arm that moves the world. John Wesley says this, God does nothing on earth except answer or respond to prayer. What if we actually lived like we really believe those truths. There are all different forms of prayer tonight that you can engage in on a daily basis. There is devotional prayer. There is meditational prayer. There's talking to God as a friend. There is contemplative prayer in your mind. There's conversational prayer, etc. But here's the deal. The most dangerous prayer that damages hell is the prayer of intercession. This is when we stand in the gap for others. This is when we take minutes, sometimes hours, most of us, the majority of time, a series of minutes, and we specifically pray strategically for the salvation, for the deliverance, for the freedom, for the healing of someone else. History belongs the intercessor. What do I mean by intercession? An intercessor is one who stands in, in the gap, meaning there is a gap between the hearts of your friends who do not know Jesus and the heart of God. There is a gap. There is a void. There is a space. And what we do in prayer through Jesus Christ, we stand in the gap. It's as though their heart is here and the plans and purposes and heart of God is here and we stand in the gap in prayer and we say, Father, through us, would you release salvation to their lives? Oh God, through me, through my weak prayers, in just my few moments, as I call out the names of my teammates, of people who I know that are going to a very real hell, as I call out their name, would you through me, Extend your love and your kindness and your blessing and your mercy to them. We can stand in the gap for persons. We can stand in the gap for entire schools, entire cities, an entire nation. Can you imagine a nation being blessed because of what you open up your mouth and declare in prayer to God on their behalf? Can you imagine Foolishness, you may say. Exaggerations, you may say. Oh, I think not. Because I actually believe 
the word of God. History belongs to the intercessor, the one who stands in the gap. Here's the deal. Satan fears when he sees the weakest Christian in the place of prayer. Doesn't that take the burden off? Because don't we just love to play the comparison game? I can never pray like any of the people on the microphone or Pastor Brandon or Pastor Caleb or Pastor Amy or Kayla or Shelby or Carson or Nathan or any of DLA or home team or Chelsea or I can't pray like them. But Satan fears when he sees the weakest among us on our knees in the place of prayer. I made up my mind a long time ago as a teenager that I want to be known in heaven and feared in hell because the enemy knows my name. If you're happy to live a mediocre, barely get by, do nothing for the kingdom kind of life, you're going to be very frustrated at DSM because that is not who God has called us to be. He's called us to shake nations with our prayers. He has called us to redefine what this generation looks like from the place of prayer. Do you understand me tonight? That is a call. That is an assignment. That is an entrustment that is given to us. And it's huge and it's weighty and it's a privilege and it's an honor and it's a challenge and it's a struggle sometimes. But the rewards will be well worth it whenever we hear Jesus say, well done, you good and faithful servant, you faithful son of mine, you faithful daughter of mine. There is a type of prayer that can only come from a heart that has been broken for those around you. When was the last time you actually cared about what people are doing around you? the ungodly. When was the time you, when was the last time you actually got maybe a little bit sad over your friends who are wrapped up in sexual immorality or enslaved to chains and yokes of bondage, depression, condemnation, guilt, pain, hurts, things going on in their home. When was the last time Christian When was the last time, Christ followers? There is a type of prayer that can only come from a vessel, a person whose heart has been broken for the lost. That only happens whenever you have a real encounter with the man, Christ Jesus, and you actually allow him to allow you to feel what he feels for those around you. There's a type of prayer, a type of prayer of intercession that can only rise up from a vessel that says, God, I actually care that people are dying in my generation. Lord, I actually, actually care that the friends that I'm talking to, it's so evident to me that they have no clue who you are. I actually care that Satan is wreaking havoc in my school. God, break my heart 
for the things that break your heart. Make me sad about the things that make you sad. I'll be your intercessor. I'll be one who stands in the gap. And by your grace, I'll see what you have to do. I'll see what you want to do through me. I'm just asking you tonight, are you that man or woman that God is looking for in this city, in this room tonight? Or are you comfortable being on the sidelines, kind of watching everybody else play the game? This is the question. I want to say to you one more time, Satan fears when he sees the weakest of us, the least spiritual of us on our knees in the place of prayer. Luke chapter 22, I want to give you examples. There's a type of of prayer in the Bible, and it's referred to as travailing prayer. And and this idea means this, this kind of prayer of a little bit of uh, agony, a little bit of anger at the devil, a little bit of anger at the kingdom of darkness. We're praying. And I, I want to show you that type of prayer because it's, it's all through the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New, so that you know I'm not talking about a personality type. I'm not talking about you raising your voice to a greater volume. I'm, not, I, I'm talking about an agonizing prayer, a prayer that comes from a desperate heart saying, God, I need you to do something in my generation. This is my generation. Luke 22, 44 exemplifies this type of prayer. This is Jesus. It says, and he, Jesus, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down on the ground. It was a travailing prayer. Is this idea of, oh God, if you don't come through. I want to give you a couple more examples. Isaiah 66, 7 and 8. Isaiah 66, 7 and 8. It says, before the woman travailed in labor, did she bring forth the child? Or before the woman felt any pain or pressure, did she give birth to a baby? Who has heard of such a foolish thing? Who has even seen such a thing? Likewise, as soon as Zion, Zion is us, Zion is the church. So as soon as Zion or the church, you and I, travailed, she brought forth spiritual sons and daughters. Guys, the idea here is that no child that's ever been delivered unless it was by a C-section, a cesarean section, where they kind of cut open the woman's stomach and just pull out. Every child that is born, it always comes through lots of pain, is what Isaiah says. In the same way, we, the church, Zion, it is the moment where we as a group say, you know what, Lord, we are just not, we're not satisfied until we see our friends saved. And I won't pretend like everything's okay and awesome in my city or in my life. I will have joy, but at the same time, I will be moved by those around me who don't know you. 
It was years ago that the Lord prophetically gave me this verse, Proverbs 24, 11. And he said, Brandon, this is kind of, kind of be a, a mission statement over your life. And Proverbs 24, 11 is this command out of Proverbs. And the command is, the command is simply this, that we are, the prophetic picture is that there are teenagers, young adults, youth and young adults, who are literally, um, come here, awesome, come here. It, it says that, that we are to do this. Come see, to both of you, come real quick. That we are to, come up here, and I want you guys to walk this way, just very slowly. The Bible says that we are to literally hold back those who are stumbling towards slaughter and pull back those who are headed into the way of death and destruction. And so the Lord spoke this so clearly in my first year of youth ministry. I said, Brandon, that's what your anointing is. You are literally to hold back those whom the enemy is luring down this path. Hold, hold back those who are stumbling towards the place of slaughter and going down the way of death and destruction. Another picture for you. I want you to go, guys to go back there and go right behind that gate. Go really, really quickly. Run, 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 run. And two of you, just go join them. Go, 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 go. And so here's the deal. See, many of you doing youth ministry for about nine and a half years now, many of you are amazing because you do actually care about your friends who, who need to be saved, who authentically love Jesus. And bless your hearts, you've done everything you can to invite them and be kind to them and, pray, and, 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 and invite them to church or like share scripture or whatever. I'm saying there's, there's another untapped weapon that you have yet to use in the most effective way, and that's intercession. This is what your generation looks like. They are trapped behind the gates. And all of your kindness is good, and your inviting is good. Hey, come to church with me. But wait, there's a gate. But hold on. There's a gate. But Jesus says, I have given you the keys to the kingdom. And I've placed something in your hand to where through prayer, as you begin to strategically target those around you, that one by one they will come through or come around these gates and they will be led to a place of freedom. So your friend who is so wrapped up in self-mutilation or self-harm, or depression, or self-hatred, your prayers of intercession move them from behind the gate to being in front of the gates, literally pulling them from, storming the gates, and pulling them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And what happens whenever you strategically pray for your school or your friend group, I want all of you to come around the gate as you call them out one by one in prayer and say, no, 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 Pine Creek will be saved for the glory of God. There is such a revival coming to Liberty High School or Mountain Ridge High School or CSCS or the Classical Academy or the Air Force Academy or whatever school or homeschool co-op program you're part of. As you begin to declare by faith, these will be 
saved in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm just saying. Your generation, so many, they are trapped behind the gates, waiting for someone to say, I've got the keys. I have your freedom. It's in my mouth. The freedom for your generation is in your mouth. As you begin to speak, you don't believe me, you say, read your freaking Bible. Proverbs says life and death is in the power of the tongue. Jesus said in Matthew 16, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose as you begin to pray, loosing prayers of freedom, they must obey. They must yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The gates must fling open for them to make an intelligent decision to bend and bow their knee to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Give them a hand real quick. You guys can take this seat. You're amazing. James 5.16, the second part of 16 says this, the effective, fervent prayer. Everybody say fervent. It's a word we don't use much kind of in our vernacular, in our culture, but the word fervent in the Greek, it literally means whenever you heat something up so much that it begins to boil and where it kind of turns red from the heat. And so if you read that, the effective, red, hot, steaming, boiling prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much or does much good. It's fervent prayers that I believe that the Lord is calling you to even tonight. I am telling you, DSM, if you will pray, we will see so many of your friends and some of your little enemies come to Jesus this year in such a great way, but it is not incumbent upon one person. It is not my responsibility. It is not the staff's responsibility, not home team, not DLA, not anyone except for you. If you will pray fervent, red hot, steaming, boiling prayers of salvation, what if God actually honors his word and answers your prayer. Amen. James 5, 16. Trapped behind the gates. We are called to storm the gates. It wasn't just some haphazard thing that we kind of prayed and sought the Lord and asked him for this series right at the beginning of the year, because we do intend to storm the gates primarily in prayer and intercession. And of course, in other ways, there are practical ways for you to get involved. And we have City We Serve monthly where you're going to have opportunity to go out and serve in our community. But those things must be fueled from the place of prayer. You guys, your authority and your power is in the place of prayer. Do you understand this tonight? I cannot, as a youth pastor, There's no other message. There's no, there's no greater lesson. There's no greater word I can give you than to charge you to be young people who actually pray, 
Oh, don't just talk about it. Pastor Caleb was sharing recently with our interns in our, in our weekly service. Prayer is the, it, it's, it's, it's the, it's the main thing that it's the easiest thing to talk about the most and never do. Yeah. It's the easiest thing to like the idea of because it's such a novel idea. <laughs> It's very, you know, it's attractive, it's, it's hot, it's, and, but, but to actually do it is a totally different thing, you guys. And all I'm saying one more time is Satan fears when the weakest believer will bow down their knee in the place of prayer. Hell trembles when the weakest among us offers up a prayer to the Lord from a genuine place of authenticity and real passion with real fervor, hell trembles. Yeah. Do you understand that tonight? So it's this idea that we want to carry even over the next couple of weeks as we talk about it, we're called to storm the gates, pray with energy, fervor and passion. See, here's the real deal, you guys. In, 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 in a sports-crazed world, we love cheering on passionate, committed players. I went to my first hockey game last night. How many of you like hockey? Yeah. Any hockey fans? Okay, it was amazing. Okay, it was me and like three other black people in the whole thing, because that like really not our thing. It's okay, you can laugh. Come on, laugh. You act like you know black people. Okay, perfect. Okay, so then... So then we're there, but it was amazing because I mean, the moments have you, how many of you guys have ever been to a hockey game before? Okay, cool. That was my first one. Okay. Whenever it's the moment, whenever they're like skating and they slam someone against the thing, I mean, the cross, ah, you know, that's amazing. Slam them harder, feed them with your stick, you know, whatever. And so it's just, I mean, it was amazing. And so it was, it was so much fun, but you can tell the energy or, or the passion. How many of you watched the, the, uh, the national, um, the national uh, football uh, championship? It was a couple days ago. How many of you? And so, and so there's something. See, nobody goes wild and crazy about, about players who aren't passionate about their game, right? Like, like nobody does. Nobody, all right, that's, yeah, wh what are you doing? Like, get, get off the, nobody wants to watch you. Go sit down, you know? Cut him from the payroll. Nobody, so in our sports crazed world, we, we, we go crazy over passionate, committed players. We would never celebrate an athlete who played as half-heartedly as most of us pray. It would never happen. We would all be bored out of our minds. We'd pack up and go home. Why is it not the same way with our prayer lives? Why don't we allow that same energy, fervor, zeal, passion as whenever the Broncos or whatever your team of choice is scores? Or Why is there not the same zeal and passion on the inside of us? It's a problem, and I think it's a real big deal to Jesus. Some of us have grown so lazy in our prayer lives, and I'm just asking, where's the generation who will pray as if it is all up to us and then live as if it is all up to God? Where is that generation? See. You've never truly loved someone until you've prayed some dangerous, 
storm the gates type of prayer for them. So from an eternal perspective, here's my question to you. Who do you really love? Or a better question is, who are you really loving? From an eternal perspective, who are you really loving right now? And praying for yourself is awesome. That's great. But you're called to love like other people too, not just you. Who are you loving right now, DSM? Specifically targeting in prayer. And I'm talking about energetic, zealous, passionate prayer where you're consistently coming before the Lord and saying, I'll pray until I see them free. I'll pray until I see the changes that I am praying for. And even if I don't see the changes, if we go separate ways, I'll still pray. You guys, in my high school years, I can't tell you the amount of, and I didn't do this perfectly, but there were strategic friends, strategic athletes, strategic people on my speech team, swim team, people in my classes, upper level, those who are younger than me, people on my bus that I would target in prayer and say, God, I won't stop praying until I see a dramatic change in their life. Don't tell me that prayer does not work. Don't tell me that you get exhausted or tired or, oh, I've prayed before. We'll keep on praying. I have seen over the last, I mean, 13 years or so, even after I graduated high school or college, that people I have prayed for diligently have come back around. Some of them are in ministry. These are people who you would never think the least of these, the the, the most, it's like, there's no way they will ever serve God. And I would say, oh God, thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of that journey. They may never know it. So what? But I'll be feared in hell and known in heaven because I prayed with energy and fervor and zeal for them. Because I said, Lord, could it be that history could be rewritten because of this time, these few minutes that I'm spending with you daily, weekly, my God, something monthly. There are so many opportunities. We can't say enough about even Unite Campus Prayer. Every Thursday, you have people. Jeez, I wish I had a bunch of people in my youth group as a high school student who actually wanted to pray with me. Many times I pray by myself in my bedroom on a Friday night. Don't tell me. Don't tell me excuses. Don't tell me the time is. I'm so over it. I'm so over it. You have people who are surrounding you saying, hey, let's pray. You say, I don't know how to pray. Come, we'll teach you how to pray. One of the most powerful requests that the disciples made to Jesus was, Lord, teach me to pray. When was the last time you asked him, Jesus, teach me to pray? I went through my teenage and my early 20 years, and even randomly now I say, Jesus, I still don't know how to pray. Holy Spirit, will you come and teach me how to pray? There's no glory in this. There's no arrogance. There's no pride in this. I don't know how to pray. The Holy Ghost knows how to pray, and he lives on the inside of me. So I just ask him, Spirit of the living God, would you come and teach me how to pray? Would you take my weak and my foolishness? sounding words and do something with them to change nations, to change 
entire school systems. It was early on, 16, 17 years old, I would pray on the telephone for 35 minutes on a hard wire phone, like one with like a telephone cord, like before cell phones were a thing. And I would pray on something called three-way. It was whenever we were so excited, you could like call multiple people and then, ooh, don't even tell me about a party line. You could do like four or five people and we could all talk at the same time on the phone. It was revolutionary. And we would pray over the phone. I prayed with people who were 50 years old and I was 16 and I prayed for 45 minutes twice a week at 6 o'clock in the morning asking the Lord to send revival to my high school and the other high schools that were in my city. God heard every single one. Every single one will be answered. Every single one matter. Every single one still matter to him. I want the worship team to come. And I want you to leave this gate up here because I want you to have a visual. And I want several DLA, if you'll come, about five of you, I want you to come and stand behind this gate and you guys can move this podium, leave the gate. The worship team stand on either side of the, uh, of the gate up here and move the podium. And tonight, I just believe that the Lord is calling several of you in this room to enter into this journey of saying, I'm going to rewrite history. And as the enemy laughs and as the kingdom of darkness laughs, it's us, the church, who will always get the last laugh. I'm just crazy enough to believe if we will pray travailing prayers, stand in the gap prayers, storming the gates prayers, that we will see a dramatic change in our county and in our city and ultimately in our state and in our nation. Don't do at Desperation Conference what you won't do on a weekly basis at DSM. I want to read one last verse to you. And I want you to feel the weight of this. This is Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 and dial in and listen very well. Revelations 8 and 1 says this. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about half an hour. I saw the seven angels who stand before God and they were given seven trumpets. Then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar. And a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the 
the altar where the angel had poured them out. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth. And thunder crashed and lightning flashed and there was a terrible earthquake. What I need you to understand is that this is a prophetic picture of what happens whenever you pray. Heaven freezes and comes to attention at the words that come from your mouth as you begin to agree with what Jesus is saying about your generation, about your school, about your city. Heaven freezes. All of heaven stops so your prayers can rise before God. And we lazily blow it off. And we foolishly say it's no big deal. And we give away our power to the kingdom of darkness. I am telling you, because of this scripture alone, we know that history is changed. We know that destinies are altered that mighty moves of God come from the place of prayer. Every major move of God recorded in church history is somehow connected to someone normally, in most cases, a group of young people who said, God, we will not stop praying until we see your power poured out in our generation. Weak prayers that people thought didn't matter, but those prayers, heaven froze, and those prayers went up to God. And the angels took those prayers and cast them metaphorically in bowls and caused thunders and earthquakes, spiritually speaking, a shaking taking place on the earth because of their prayers. I want you to bring down the lights just a bit. And here's what we're going to do. We're just going to pray for a few minutes. We're going to ask the Lord. God, put something on the inside of me. I want to rewrite history. I really want to see change in my generation. I believe that if about 20 of us in this room will really pick up the heart of God for our city, for the school systems in Colorado Springs, we will see a move of God like never before. And that's not just hype. That is a prophetic word with an if-then condition attached to it for us as a ministry. And so as a worship team that's ready to sing over you tonight, the visual I want you to get is that somebody's got to rescue those who are trapped behind the gates. Every single one of us know at least one person who is trapped in depression, or trapped in condemnation, or trapped in immorality, or trapped in unbelief. That's a trap. I want you to see them as you see these who are behind the gates. And I want you to pray for them with energy, zeal, and fervor. That's all I've got tonight. That's it. You can sit where you 
are. You can stand, you can walk up and down the sides, you can come and kneel here at this altar, but we're gonna take about five minutes and we're gonna ask the Lord for the affections of Jesus Christ to fill several of you tonight. As a matter of fact, to give you a way to respond, if you say, I want the affections of God to fill me, listen, I don't care what you do. I'll love you still the same. Some of you, you just, it's great. You're so fine. But I want those of you who say, gosh, I really feel this, the spirit of the Lord stirring in my heart. I've got to pick up a burden for my generation. I haven't had it before. But gosh, I feel the Lord doing something to me. I want you to stand really quickly. I don't care if it's just a few of you. It doesn't matter. I don't care about that. And I want you, as you respond to Jesus, just lift up both your hands right now. We'll pray in just a minute. But I want the band just to prophetically just pr play over you. <coughs> and we're going to ask the Lord. Session on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God, and they've got a vision and a mission for their life. 